Well, this morning we're going to start, I guess I'm going to call this a mini-series. I was really praying over what to, what to do after we did our Friends Day last week and kind of had another direction on my mind and on my heart. And then, and then the Lord kind of shifted my attention to, to a little bit different uh, direction. And so we're going to do this little, this little mini-series we're going to call Dwell. And the, and the definition of the word dwell is to live or to stay as a permanent residence, to reside or to live or continue in a given condition or state. How many know that where you live matters? Now, I realize you can take that too far, but where you live matters. Matter of fact, I've got a little picture I want to show you. If you move to an area... In the local Walmart, you see this in the parking lot, you might not be live dwelling in the right place. When you look around and you see that, uh, that, that all around you is decay, or when you, when, the, when you dwell in your surroundings and you could dwell in better places and you think, I, you know, maybe I need to shift where I'm dwelling. And we've all had those times like, you know what, things have degraded to the point I got to get out of this location and I need to relocate to something better. And it seems like, you know, sometimes we've reached that place where we convince ourselves that everybody else has got a better dwelling than we do. And you may be thinking that I'm talking about your house right now, and, and in a sense, maybe I am, but not quite like you think. So I thought about this series. My mind immediately went to Psalms 91.1. Psalms 91 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It really talks about God's protection in His hand, but it starts out of verse 1. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That is all that needs to be said right there. See, too many believers allow themselves to dwell in spiritual neighborhoods that long ago should have been torn down. Think about that. We were, I was at Fall Council this week, as I, as I mentioned, and there were missionaries and things there, and we had a great service, and, and the message that our superintendent brought was a powerful, powerful message. And, and the interesting thing is, is, is the message that he brought went right in line with what I already had I was going to preach today. And one of the statements that was made there, just I love it when God confirms that you're on the right track, right? And one of the statements he made is he had this lady that uh, kind of has a little, some of the spiritual gifts active in life, and she had brought a word to the uh, leadership of, of the North Texas District because she's one of the people that's on staff there. And so he invited her up at the end of the message to give this word over the pastors and over the churches of our area. And one of the statements that she made was just so powerful to me. She started out and she read this verse and she concluded what she said. She says, we have to return back to being shelter dwellers and shadow abiders. We've got to get back to the idea of dwelling under God's presence, dwelling under God's protection, dwelling where what he has for us. Because how many know that we live in a society that is so easy for us to get our minds on other things? It's so easy for us to allow ourselves to dwell spiritually in wrong circumstances, in wrong situations, and missing out on what God's doing. There is a, scripturally here, there is a protection that God offers. There are things that he has available for us. And so many times we get so caught up in so many other things that we allow ourselves to dwell in and dwell on the wrong things. He longs for us to rest under the shadow of the Most High. I want you to get this visual picture for just a moment. To me, there's something, I love that idea. You know, something that towers above you so much that it casts a shadow that you can get under it means it's something that's bigger than you are. And just imagine we face the, the pressures and the, and the heat and the things of this, this world today that we have a shadow that we can step under and it may look like the enemy's attacking all out in front of us, but if he's big enough and he's back there that his shadow covers us and there is something about that means that I've got somebody much bigger than me that is watching my back. And as long as I abide in that, as I stay under that, sh that shelter and I abide under that shadow of the Almighty, I'm covered. 
This morning, as we look at this idea and begin to discuss this idea of dwelling, the passage I want us to focus on for this morning is Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. To me, this is so powerful. Prophet Isaiah makes this statement. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Boy, that is a powerful, you break that down, that is a powerful, powerful, powerful statement. But you see, we can be living, we can be residing in the wrong place. We can be dwelling in the wrong place when we get caught up. So many times we can get caught up in dwelling on the past. That's what I'm going to focus on this morning. The idea of dwelling on the past. Because what does he say right at the very beginning? He says, do not dwell on the past. That's pretty good advice. But so many times we can dwell on the past. We can get used to the idea of living in the wrong neighborhood. Now, I'm not talking about where your house is. I'm talking about where you spiritually dwell. That we can live in the wrong neighborhood. And I say at this time, he's warning the children of Israel that the time that he gives this, they were in a bleak period in their history. They were in captivity. They had lost everything that they thought they would keep forever. They thought that they were operating under God's promises. They thought that they were operating. And yes, God made those promises. But the problem is they didn't keep their commitment. They didn't keep their side of it. And so finally the day came that God said, you know what, enough. And he let the, he let the Babylonians come along and he let them take them over. And all these things they thought that they would have forever, all these promises they thought they could hang on to were no longer there for them. And the whole reason they got there is because for so many reasons they couldn't help but keep dwelling on the past. I mean, they failed miserably in this area. Every time God blessed them with good things, they couldn't seem to bring themselves to dwell in what God was doing right then and there. They kept dwelling on the past. You can really take the whole history of Israel and you can put it into that little box right there. Every time God did something and he was trying to do something new in them and he was trying to move them forward, all they did was keep looking back. God gave them food in the wilderness. I mean, he had gone through all the effort to set them free from Egypt. He had taken them out. He had led them, and, and, and they were out from under that heavily, heavy yoke of oppression, and they were out there, and they were in the desert where there was nothing, and God miraculously fed them in the middle of the desert, and all they could do was look back and complain and say, but we had meat in Egypt. They forgetting they were under slavery. They were forgetting that they had whips across their backs. They forget all the stuff they had, but they had meat. So they were looking back. He gave them his commandments. I mean, can you imagine? I've always wondered, how could you sit there and the presence of God is up on top of the mountain and the mountain is shaking and there's stuff happening and when God spoke, first spoke from the mountain, they heard it and they made the same and said, Moses, you go talk to him, but don't let him speak like that again. I mean, so obviously there was a presence there that they were seeing that was powerful and shaking, yet after Moses was up there for a little bit of time, guess what? They went back and they decided, you know what? Let's, let's build an idol. And you know the story. When they left from there and they became a nation, God gave them a king. He himself was going to be their king. We complain about our leaders in this country all the time. They complain. We all complain. You know, it doesn't matter who's in charge. We always complain. We don't like it. And, and, you know, wouldn't it be great to say God is actually our king? I mean, talk about the best form of government. That's what God desired for them. But yet, once again, they want to take a step backwards and say, oh, no, we want a person ruling over us again. God, give us a king like everybody else. Later, God gave them the temple. Once again, they went backwards to idol worship. God wanted people, a people for himself time and time again, but he was met with nothing but rejection and people running amok, constantly looking at the former. Later, he would give them Jesus. 
And they kept referring back to the old traditions. You know what was funny about that? Is that every time they were looking back to what the previous generation had done, as if that was the golden days and times, but yet you get back into the actual history of the previous generation, and they were looking back before them. It was just a problem that they had as a nation. They were constantly looking back to the way God used to do things instead of what God was trying to do in that day and in that moment. So God allowed them to be conquered. He allowed them to be taken into captivity. And some rightfully felt that they were just getting what they deserved because some of them realized how far they had fallen. And some even believed that God would never, ever have anything to do with them again. But they were wrong. All God wanted for them was to dwell in a better place with him. You may be here today and you may feel like your circumstance this morning is that you're a captive. You're captive to circumstances. You're captive to things. You're, you're trapped by things of your past. And maybe you hear and you think, well, I'll always be judged by my failures of the past. Or perhaps you, you'll, you feel like you'll always be judged by things people told you you were from your past. And so many times our past and the things that we dwell on are a weight that holds us back from what God wants to do in your life. And, and maybe you're, you're kind of like the children of Israel. You feel like, you know, there's just no way he's going to rescue me. There's no way he's going to set me free because I'm just this or I'm just that. I'm here to tell you this morning, you're wrong. You're dead wrong. Because God loves you that much. He does not want you to stay dwelling in your past. See, God delights in changing where you dwell. Time and time again. What did he do? Time and time again. We talked about how the children of Israel were constantly looking to the past, but when they would find those moments, those windows, when they would finally come to their senses and they would finally repent, God would come through again and again and again and dramatically rescue them. He would set them free, and his nature has not changed. That's who he is, and that is what he does. And if we're in those moments, we feel like our, our past is holding us down, and we want to get stuck dwelling on those things, if we'll turn our hearts to him and we'll dwell in his presence, all of a sudden he will come along, and he will perform the miracle, and he will get us out of that situation and put us where we're supposed to be. So with that thought in mind, Here's the statement I kind of boiled it all down to. The neighborhood in which your mind dwells sets the tone for your spiritual zip code. The neighborhood in which your mind dwells will set the tone for your spiritual zip code. How many know that our mind, because we get so caught up in dwelling in the past, we get so caught up in dwelling in the wrong things, but I'm here to tell you today that that's not where God wants us to stay. That's not where he wants us, desires for us to linger and to live. He has so much better for us. So often we can get caught up by what was. We can be stalled in that. You cannot allow your past failures to possess you. That is not of God. You cannot dwell on the past. You may feel like your past has made your life a wasteland, but God says, what does it say in the passage? I have come to bring life, to bring the streams of life into your circumstance. See, one of the devil's greatest tools is to get us caught up in our past. He does it again and again. If he can keep us convinced that we're somehow a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. If he could get us convinced there's, there's no way we could be anything special or anything more than we are, then he's won half the battle. Because that's where the enemy is, wants to keep you. He wants to keep you shy. He wants to keep you scared to step out because you've been slapped back in the past. Maybe in the past you tried to step out from the circumstances holding you back and you felt like you got slapped back down. But you know what? Sometimes we need to get back up. We need to keep going because there is an enemy that doesn't want us to walk in the promises that God has for us. There's so much more he wants us to do. 
you know, you, maybe you, he's got you convinced that your sins will forever haunt you. And they will unless you put them under the blood of Jesus. That's why he came. Or he wants to convince you that you're not truly forgiven. That's a lie from the enemy. If you've given it to God and you've confessed it and you've prayed over it, it's forgiven. It's done. It's gone. God hasn't really forgotten my past. Yes, he has. Scripture says that he has. The enemy wants to come along and say, no, no, you're still that liar. You're still that cheater. You're still that adulterer. You're still whatever that thing is that's in your closet that you don't want anybody to know about. Now, there may be consequences that you still face of things that you've done in the past. But you know what the great thing is? God is so good at taking those circumstances and ministering to us and cleaning us up and getting us to step out from under those things. And there may still be consequences. There may still be maybe family situations of decisions that are made. There may still be financial ramifications of some decisions. There's all kinds of things that can still follow us a little bit. But God has a way of taking that and turning those into powerful testimonies that can set somebody else free that is caught by that same thing. Just because you've had a past, just because you've made some mistakes, does not believe mean that God will not bless you. Romans 8, 1 and 2, Paul deals with that, and he says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. No condemnation. See, the, the enemy loves to, to sit on our shoulders, so to speak. You know? And I realize that there used to be the little cartoons. Remember the little cartoons that, that somebody, would be, somebody would be facing some situation. There'd be a little devil on one shoulder, a little angel on another, and they'd have this little conversation going on. And I realize that's funny and that's silly, but there's a little bit of reality to that. And anytime God gets ready to do something in our lives, there's always that little voice in the enemy that wants to bring back the condemnation. Oh, you know what you really are. You know your shortcomings. You know what? Let me tell you what. There's not a human being that has walked this earth that doesn't have their own shortcomings, that doesn't have their own junk. You look at the lives of the, we could run down the list of the apostles and people in the Bible that God used to do miraculous things. They all had their junk. The difference was they allowed God to help them leave that behind and not dwell in the past and overcome those things and do something. And that's the same way it is for us. If you've responded to Christ, the condemnation that you feel over those things is not of God. All your enemy will try to bring those things back up. Other people might try to bring those things back up. But Jesus just looks at you when you bring it back up and says... What are you talking about? I forgot. Think about that. Those things are nothing but lies designed to keep you stuck in your past. God wants so much better for you. And if you're here and you're hearing my voice, whatever it is that you think that disqualifies you is nothing but a lie from the pit of hell itself. You give your life to him, you are not disqualified. You're qualified. But you know what else the enemy can use against us? He can get us to dwell even on our past successes. If he can't get you because you're dwelling on your past sins, he might even use your past success against you. Because the whole idea, he wants you looking backwards instead of looking forwards. If you're continually looking behind you, you cannot see where you're going. You ever got caught looking back and trip over something? Stub your toe on the, the little coffee table you forgot that you just rearranged? That is so simple. That's one of the most painful things. But if you can't see where you're going, you can't see where God is, is taking you. 
And it may be a great past success. But if you're constantly looking back to the way things used to be, how can you see what God is wanting to do in front of you? I can't tell you how many churches I've seen struggle and fail because they get caught up in past successes instead of focusing on what's next. Isn't that what the children of Israel kept doing? Oh, God did this thing this way, and when God was trying to do something new and different than what he had going in, they would miss it time and time again because they were caught up looking in the past. What did, what did he say in Isaiah? He said, see, I'm doing a new thing. Guess what? New things are new. New things are different. I mean, can you imagine? God's trying to new, do a new thing, and he's trying to show us what it is, and we're walking like this, and God says, don't you see the new thing I'm doing? What, what are you talking about? Because we're looking at the past. We're looking at our attention is in the wrong place. See, the children of Israel had many victories in the past. God miraculously left them out, pulled them out of Egypt. God miraculously parted the Red Sea. God helped them conquer land in Canaan. And he was, and, and once, time and time again, when different enemies would come against them, God would be with them in battle, and they would win the battles. Yet it seemed that every next challenge that they faced, they kept looking back on the way things were done in the past. And that was their biggest obstacle. Now, as we said, now they're in captivity. And all their previous victories were doing nothing to set them free. They needed a new work. They needed a new miracle. They needed a new victory. And the question isn't, what has God done or even how he's done it in the past? The question truly needs to be, what is God doing? What is God desiring to do in your life right now? What does it look like now? So many times we get so caught up in our perception of how we think what we want him to do looks that we miss what he really wants to do. Because when he really wants to do it, you know what? How many know that I kind of have this personal philosophy. If I've got it figured out exactly how he's going to do it, I can just about take it to the bank. It's not going to be done that way. He delights in showing off, oh, no, no, watch watch what I can really do. And he has a way of bringing things around. And, and just, you know, and, and, and from our perspective, he's late on purpose so many times, but I believe so he can show us that, hey, look, look what I pulled off that you thought there was no way. He does that again and again. And so many times we get caught up thinking that he's going to do some miracle in our lives just like he did it last time. Some past experience. And we keep wanting to go back and God keeps wanting to move forward. So in place of trying to dwell in in the place that he wants for us, now we're stuck on how he's done things in the past. When the disciples went to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. What was the Lord's prayer? He said, pray this, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, in heaven, and I've said this before, in heaven he speaks and it's done. On earth he speaks and we think about complying. If it's not too inconvenient. If it fits our approved methods of the way he's supposed to do it. How many know we're all so guilty of taking God and putting him in our own little box? God's confined by his word, not our box. And sometimes we can confuse parts of scripture and we can build our own boxes that aren't really even there in scripture. That we take something out of context. Or maybe we think, you know, that, that, that he has to do it in a way that there's something in it for us. I know there's always something in it for us, but if our whole purpose and our whole desire that, in us being obedient to what he says is what's in it for us, we've missed the whole mark. 
He said to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things would be added to you as well. We get it backwards. If his will is going to be done on earth, guess what? I can't make it happen. You can't make it happen. You know, I can't, there's, there's very little I can actually make happen in my life. There's not that much I can make happen in this church. Oh, I can make a few phone calls. I can put a date on the calendar. But as far as God really moving and God really doing something, I can't make it happen. I can't make it happen for myself. I can't make it happen for you. The only thing I can do is try to influence. The only thing I can do is try to make sure that I'm right and I'm open to what he's doing and hopefully help encourage you to be open to what he wants to do in your, in your life. And when we all get there, that's when we'll begin to truly move forward. When we quit being hung up in the past, we say, Lord, do what you desire to do today, even if it looks completely different from what I think it ought to look like. See... It's his job to forget our past, not ours. So you quit dwelling on the past. But there is a power in remembering the former. There's a difference between dwelling on something and remembering something. While we shouldn't dwell in the past, there's a value in remembering the things that he has done in the past and remembering where we came from. You know, remembering keeps us grounded. Remembering keeps us humble. Remembering helps us to be a little just less judgmental. How many know that it's so easy? You get a few years under your belt, you're a little further down the line, and, and you're walking in that situation and that circumstance, and, and God's done a work in you, and you're, you're much cleaner than you used to be. Your, your, your morality standard has risen and, and all these things, and it is so easy for us to look back on, look at somebody else that isn't that far down the line with a judgmental eye like there's something less. But we, but we always need to remember where we came from and who we were and who God set us from, free from, what he set us free from. <coughs> well, I've been in circumstances. I've seen things where there are people that are pretty rough around the edges. I've been invited to places be a part of something where there's people that are rough around the edges and they and they and and it can be so easy to try to get a little bit of righteous anger but I always remind myself people that are lost are lost And it's not our place to expect any better behavior from them because they haven't had what happened in their life that's happened in our lives. So my job, your job, is to love them, to befriend them, to pray for them until God brings them to a place where you can speak into their life. Because if we look down at them with a judgmental eye right off the bat, they'll pick up on that, and that'll be the end of your influence. It's so important that we remember where we came from. Because those experiences where we came from can help us minister to other people. You know what else we need to remember? We need to remember who's king. Isaiah 6 1 says this In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Just think about that for a moment. I don't know about you, I'd love to have a vision like that. It would probably be as scary and as humbling as all get out. Can you imagine catching a glimpse of him in his throne room? catching a glimpse of his majesty and his glory and his power. 
Let's begin to think about it. Let's just, let's just talk about just the throne for a moment. The throne of glory, the one before we're supposed to worship, that really in our hearts and our minds when we bow down and worship, when we exalt his name, when we sing those songs. I always wondered, you know, what would it be like if we could see in the spiritual realm of, of our worship being in the presence of that throne room? What if we could really see how close we actually are to heaven in those moments that we truly worship him with abandon and a pure heart? We're also talking about the throne of government under which we all must be subjects. The throne of authority that is so powerful and so strong that even the Bible declares that one day every knee will bow. Even the most rebellious, hard person in the world, that even though they may have never given their life to Christ, there will come a day that their knee will bow before that throne. That's the throne we're talking about. We're talking about the throne of grace to which the Bible says that we can boldly come before. I think sometimes we don't understand the value of what we can do and how we can enter into his presence and what it means to be able to boldly take our needs before his throne. Back in that day and in that time, you didn't boldly do anything before the king's throne. Not if you valued your head. But because of the work that Jesus did, it says we can boldly take our needs before his throne of grace. The throne that is high and lifted up above all competition and all contradiction. You know the one that Satan tried to grab a hold of and fell miserably? I love that passage in Scripture when Jesus says, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. I always have this image of him just turning in that moment and reaching towards the throne, and next thing you know, he's in a smoking crater on earth. That's the throne that we're talking about. And here's the thing. In that time, the, the, the Holy of Holies was in a place on earth. But I love this picture. That the train was the very edge of the king's garments. And it says his train filled the temple. Guess what? We're now temples of the Holy Spirit. His glory, his presence, his train, his power dwells in us. And we know according to Matthew 9.20 that there's just healing in the edge of his garment. And his train fills the temple. In Old Testament times, many times when a king would go out and conquer another king and win a battle. Oh, they loved to capture the other king and they loved to parade the other king around before people and they'd either keep them as, as prisoners or they would execute them. Matter of fact, if you remember, um, Saul got in trouble for that when he was supposed to get rid of a king and he decided, well, I'm going to keep him a while and, and parade him around to show how great of a king I am and he got in trouble for it. But one of the practices that would happen many times is when a king would take over the kingdom of another king and they would take over and they'd arrest them, sometimes they would cut off part of the train of the other king and have that attached to their train. And so you can imagine as a conquering king, and and, you know, it was like this symbol of their of their conquering ability to be able to walk around with a huge train that had pieces of other kings they had conquered attached to their train. So this picture and this idea of his train filling the temple. brings a little bit of power to it, to the idea that he has conquered again and again to the point that his train fills the temple. 
So the longer the king's robe was, the more battles he had won, the more victorious he had stood, and it, it was shown to the people. With that picture in mind, how can I let my past hold me back? Because he has conquered and he has won again and again and again, so much so that his train fills the temple. And and we can look at all the victories that he's done, but you know what, if we really analyze it, I don't know about you, but in my life, just the things that he's conquered in my life could fill a whole temple. Because at some point, I lowered myself enough to reach out and touch the hem of his garment and say, Lord, I need you. With that in mind, how can we allow the past to still have a hold of us? How can we walk in that? Because there's so many things he's defeated in our lives. There's so many things he's defeated in your life. And the same track record that that got you from where you are to where you are today is the same track record that would keep going. He doesn't lose a battle. The only time we lose a battle is when we walk away from him. We get out from under that shelter that he has for us. Just because of the things he can do. How can we not walk in confidence? We need to quit saying, no, I can't because... I can because he's conquered my past so that I can enjoy his future. I'll say that again. Apparently you guys didn't catch that. He's conquered my past so that I can enjoy his future. His future that he has for me. His future that he has for you is so much greater than anything you've experienced. As I said, the neighborhood in which your mind dwells sets the tone for your spiritual zip code. I love the idea, spiritually, to be able to pull out the change of address card. So, you know what? I used to dwell in the past. But let me give you my new forwarding address his future in order to discover what he has for you you must see the possibilities that he sees for you what did he say right at the beginning Isaiah 43 19 says behold I am doing a new thing now it springs forth do you not perceive it I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert It's what a new thing. God is able to transform the deserts. He's able to bring blessings onto places that were dry and barren. God can take our dried up, useless lives and transform it into something incredible. And so what do we need to do? We need to quit looking back. We need to quit dwelling on the past. We need to embrace the now. Matter of fact, I look at this. When I thought about embracing the now, I had this mental picture. In other words, let's hold on tight through the transformation. How many know being stretched is uncomfortable? And when he begins that work with you, we need to be able to hold on tight, wrap up, hold on and say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I know parts of this are going to be outside of my comfort zone, but I know that you're the only one that's headed in the direction I want to go. And so I'm going to hold on tight. I'm going to hang on for this ride until we get there. We must embrace the work that he wants to do in us. We need to hold tight when he transforms our desert. We need to hold tight until it all becomes new. We need to hold tight until until I will not to no longer look in our past and begin to look forward. We need to hold tight while he's stretching us. We need to hold tight because it will be glorious. Psalm 95, 6 through 8 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa, 
in the wilderness. Meribah means contention. Massa means testing. You know what it was? This was the place and the time that, that, that God was doing something in their lives, and all they did was they began to whine and complain and call out, and they failed, and they failed miserably. This is the place where they were, com- they were complaining about being thirsty. And Moses had to take the rod as God instructed and strike the rock so that water would flow forth. He provided for their need. But you know, I often wonder why did God put up with their complaining as much as he did? How many know sometimes, though, we can be a little guilty of complaining? And the whole time, he's just going, hold on. Hold on. I know this isn't the most good. You just wait to see what I'm going to do. And I really think as a people, we've got to get past letting our, our past stuff be the anchor that holds us back. Let it be the thing that, that keeps us from moving forward to what God has for you. Because the future he has for you, the plans he has for you, the plans he has for this church is so much more glorious than we know. But it's not going to look like anything he's done in the past. It's going to be what he's doing today. And we can't be caught up in the past. We can't let the, the things, the junk in our past, the, the, the things that are wrong and out of balance that, that would hold us back. We can't hold on to those anymore. And we also have to be willing to look at and realize that the successes we had in the past, that what he's going to do in the future may not look like the things that we've seen in the past. In fact, it probably won't. But I'm telling you, he has such a glorious future in mind. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward if they would. This morning as as I was praying, Lord, how do you take a message about dwelling in the past. What kind of altar call do you make? Well, I could say, if you got something in your past that's holding you up, raise your hand. How many know there's something about identifying what something is? You'll find on the page sitting next to you just a little piece of paper. I'm just going to ask if we can get just a little bit of music in the background. I want us to take a moment. We've got time. And as I was talking about the stuff of the past, as I was talking about the junk, maybe you're here this morning, something began to raise up in your mind. There was something you're like, you know what, I am kind of stuck on this. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's some, some failure you had in your life that you feel like is still holding you back. Maybe it's... Something that somebody said about you or, or some situation. You know what it is. There, there are things sometimes we, that, we, that God wants to do something and he's want, pulling and he's wanting to tug us forward. But we're so stuck from something in the past that it becomes that anchor that doesn't allow us to move on. Whatever that thing is, I want to encourage you to just jot that thing down. Put it down in writing on a piece of paper. This is the anchor. This is the thing that is holding me back from embracing what God wants to do in my life. And I want you to identify it. I want you to write it down. I'm not asking you to put your name on it. But I want you, when you get that identified, bring it up front and leave it at the altar leave it at the altar find your own place to to pray if you want to kneel at the altar and pray over that thing let's do that because the time has come there's something about we say you know what this thing that has held me back this thing that the enemy brings up again and again the thing that again and again and again that we think I can't move forward I can't step forward I can't step into what God is calling me to do because of this well let's get it put away 
Let's get it buried under the blood of Jesus. Let's leave it at the foot of the cross. Walk away from it. And embrace what God has. If you, you can pray on your own. If you want somebody to agree with you in prayer, let's do, you can do that. I want this to be very free-flowing, but just for, for five minutes or so, I want us to focus on what is that thing. Maybe there's some success you had in your past and you struggle with certain things moving forward because you're so caught up in the way God had done it in the past that you can't wrap your head or you can't wrap your arms around what he's trying to do now. But that's the same struggle that the children of Israel had because it didn't look like what they'd seen God do in the past. But it was definitely what God is doing in that day. So whatever it is that you're struggling, whatever that anchor is, identify it. Ask the Lord, what is the thing that is holding me back? Let's put it down. Let's get it put away under the blood of Jesus so that we can move forward. I'm going to pray for just a moment. As I pray, I want you to write that thing down, and then I want you to come and I want you to leave it at the altar. Lord, we come before you today. You see each and every person. Lord, I know that you are God and that you are king and there are things that you desire to do. And Lord, you are doing a new work. Lord, there are things that you want to do in this church. Lord, there are things that I know that you've spoken, Lord, into my heart and into my spirit, Lord God, that you desire to do. But Lord, for some of us to step into what you're doing, we got to let go of some anchors of the past. We have to bury some things and leave them where they long. Things that are dead, things that are holding us back. And so, Lord, I ask that for each person that is here, that you'd help them to identify exactly what that thing is that is the anchor, that, that secret sin, that thing that, Lord, that they feel condemnation for, that maybe it's already been forgiven of, but the enemy keeps bringing up again and again and again and tell them they can't because of something in the past. Lord, that's a lie from the enemy. And, Lord, we, we come against, Lord, I, I, Lord, I bind any any. Lord, condemnation that the enemy would bring on anybody here for something that is under the blood of Jesus. Lord, we ask you, Lord, let us become, let us become those that hide under your wings. Let us become those that abide in your shadow. Lord, realize that you've got it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. That's you, what it is. Come and leave it at the altar right now. Right now. Somebody's got to be first. Come on, quit being shy. Come on. Oh, you're not going to tell me that more of you don't have something. Let's quit this junk. Come on. Right now, let's put it away. How can we expect this to be a place where God moves and transforms lives and people let go of their past if you're not willing to do it yourself? It starts with us. It starts with us. Jesus. Thank you,
Lord Jesus, we thank you that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, my prayer is that every person here, Lord, that whatever the anchor is that's holding them back, they will lay it at your feet. And Lord, that you will set them free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And we praise you. We ask you to be with us, Lord Jesus. Let us walk in your goodness and enjoy your presence. Lord, bring us back together this Wednesday night and next Sunday that you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.